0: Welcome to a very special edition of Off the Crossbar. Corine we...
1: edition, sorry.
0: Yeah, it is, huh?
1: <laughs> Matt, do you mind if I lead us in and then I just cut him off? Wow.
0: That's all right. Sorry. I'm, I'm used to it. It's such abuse. Uh, we're actually joined today on the podcast uh, by a person whose name you probably recognize, whose face you probably recognize, whose... Uh, 2009 MLS Cup winning penalty kick you probably recognize. Oh, I thought uh, you were describing
2: me right up until that last little bit. Oh,
0: sorry, Trevor. Uh, it's Dr. Robbie Russell, uh, and uh, I think he's uh, he's you know a practicing doctor in uh, the University of Virginia medical system, and he's doing some, some great work, Kyle. Yeah, crazy stuff right now uh kyle trevor anything you guys like that before we kick over to the interview
1: uh robbie's really cool um and it's a really chaotic insane time for all health workers and for him to take the time to speak with us was really cool and he's a very articulate awesome dude and it was great to hear from him trevor
2: (laughs) Uh I have literally nothing to add. That's everything that I wanted to say. Now, he was, he's really nice. It's really gracious <laughs> of him to come on. Really happy that, that, um, we were able to talk to him.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: I, I can agree with all that. This is going to sound like a, hey, don't stop listening till after the break. Uh, but he does give us some tips for existing in this, this new COVID 19 world, uh, at the end. Um, and, and really we focus on, on that but there's there's a little bit of soccer thrown in there too so hopefully and he's had an interesting
1: useful. like career trajectory to to be i mean scoring that championship winning goal uh to being on the front lines of a global pandemic in 11 years um is pretty pretty wild <laughs> i think that's super interesting and i don't think there's very many players in um physicians that have had that trajectory from professional sports to being you know er docs it's pretty sweet
0: yeah i think that's fair to say
1: (laughs) i don't know I, (laughs) i think he's probably one of uh very few and we were lucky enough to have him here for a while
0: yeah so uh enjoy the listen and we'll be back uh soon we don't have anything else going on so we'll be back soon with a Slightly more regular episode, but there's still no soccer, so
1: we'll see. But we have a lot to talk about. I think.
0: We'll, yeah. Okay. We'll, we'll, okay. We'll uh, Enjoy the interview. today on a very special episode of Off the Crossbar is one Dr. Robbie Russell, who you might remember from maybe a great penalty kick in 2009, <laughs> uh, but is doing some great work as a doctor in the University of Virginia system. Robbie, thanks for joining us today.
3: Thanks for having me, guys.
0: Uh, so you're in the University of Virginia medical system right now, uh, and it sounds like you're working in Virginia. Is that correct?
3: Yeah, um, I'm part of the UVA Health so- Health System. Um, they their main hospital is here in Charlottesville, Virginia, um, where the University of Virginia is. Um, and I'm a uh, resident intern, which is a first year physician uh, in the system.
0: Great. Uh, so I think the the first question I have is: So you were a, a soccer player who kind of explored some other options, went to Scandinavia, right? came back to the U S in a, in, a, in an interesting time for the league. Uh, but going into medicine is, is definitely a, a different path than I think most take, uh, obviously. Um, so what kind of inspired that for you?
3: Um, I mean, that's, uh, it. it was not a, uh, a short road. It wasn't, uh, you know, I knew I was doing this from the minute I was kind of conceived type of thing. Um, I, you know, I, growing up playing soccer you know i had been an athlete my whole life Um, and you know there came a period in the middle of my career right at the end of my kind of stint in Scandinavia where I had some bad injuries um, didn't play for like almost two years um, recovering from those injuries and so it kind of got that seed in my head of okay what do you want to do next with your life you know if you can't play again like what's next Um, at that time I was dating my you know wife who is, uh, you know, currently my wife and her father-in-law actually was a uh, emergency medicine physician. Um, And he kind of sat me down and did the whole kind of like, you know, what's your real job going to be, you know, father-in-law talk. Um, (laughs) And I told him that like, I had been interested in uh, emergency medicine and, and being a doctor. And, you know, this is at this point, I was maybe, you know, eight, nine years out of school. And I thought he was just gonna laugh at me, you know. Um, But then he was like, okay, if that's what you're interested in, let's figure out how to do this. Um, And that was like, really surprising and motivating for me that someone who was doing the job that I wanted to do, um, thought I could do it, you know. Um, And I just kind of started plugging away, figuring out what I needed to do. How did I get my credits, that sort of thing. And Fast forward another like seven eight years, um, I'm here now.
0: That's great, um, and your focus is on emergency medical. Is that correct?
3: Yeah, I'm an emergency medicine physician.
0: So this is a, a really interesting time for you to be joining us on on this podcast. Is
3: one word for it, yes. <laughs>
0: yeah. Um, how is so? You're in your first year. How has it changed uh, with this global pandemic?
3: Oh, it's. Um... It's going to be one of those things that kind of defines our generation of doctors, um, especially for emergency medicine, um, because we're the ones that are kind of in the front lines, so to speak, along with our, you know, nurses, techs. But the idea being is one of the things that attracted me to emergency medicine is that um, I liked the mystery of it. I didn't know what was going to walk in the door and I liked knowing I could handle it, you know? Um, And the problem with this kind of virus is that a lot of times that people are walking around without symptoms um, and you don't know what's walking in the door. Um, And it's highly contagious and it um, can get people very sick, very fast. Um, And so it, it, it's a, it's a scary time for us, but I think it's a time that where we really understand, you know, this is why we were kind of called to medicine. Um, And this is why we do what we do is to help people who are in dire straits um it's just really tough because it you know it takes a lot of toll on you personally um but uh, it's one of the things that i've really enjoyed in terms of my transition it's that idea of being in a locker room with a team you know like you can look to the people that are standing next to you and you know they're like they're all fighting for the same thing um and that can be really inspiring at times
1: Robbie, so um Kyle here. The last time that we recorded oddly was um, we had just sat down to start recording. At this point, I think it's been uh, two weeks, or I, th- I think that sounds about right, Matt. But um, it was actually the same day that the the Utah Jazz were about to start that that game they were playing against Oklahoma City, and right before. Literally right before tip-off, they ended up calling the game off because they had announced that Rudy Gobert had been announced to have had coronavirus. Um, and I think that really solidified how um, – how serious this was going to be that this wasn't you know often with a lot of illnesses it can be out of sight and out of mind and we don't think about the most famous or popular people among our society to to be susceptible to, to some of these things but i think he was like the the number four or five confirmed cases uh utah resident getting it um and it's had such a strange impact on the sports world in particular and at that at that the day that we were recording um we were speculating about you know whether MLS would be canceled by the weekend. And then, you know, since then, it's just escalated very strongly in all sports across the world, other than, oddly, the Belarusian Premier League is the only (laughs) sports league in the entire world that's continuing on for Mm -hmm. some reason. Um, But I'm just curious what your perspective is on the cancellation of sports and that the effect that's going to have on our society. I know we all probably have a very strong shared interest in athletics in general, but soccer in particular, um, and it's, it's such a global game. And I'm curious what your perspective is on that and what the cancellation of of sports across the, the, the globe is going to mean for us as a, as a human race who are all the majority love sports.
3: Well, I mean, it's, you know, no one has like a crystal ball they can't kind of predict the future, but I, I mean, we've had pandemics in the past. We've had kind of infectious diseases that have spanned, you know, across borders. Um, I think for our generation where, you know, we haven't really had this experience, um, having this kind of interruption in our life is, it's defining. Um, it's going to be a part of our kids' experience, going to be part of our experience. And for us, you know, you know when we have, famous people, when we have athletes, when we have politicians kind of getting sick, I think it just more emphasizes for us that anyone can get this, you know, Um, and that for whatever, you know, reason, you know, the way entertainment works for us, you know, in terms of our society, that that is like the one thing that maybe for some people flips the switch, you know, as to how serious this can be. But just like any other kind of virus disease, I think we will kind of get Past it. Um, I think we will kind of, it may, it's unclear as to how this disease will progress. Is this going to turn into more of like a, you know, flu, like where we have like a COVID season type of situation, or is it more of a, you know, we'll eventually get a vaccine, which, you know, I pray for. Um, But, you know, I don't, I don't know how this kind of virus itself, it's it's new to us um, in terms of the amount of research we have on it. And so that's why continuously, like all of the guidelines change, all of the you know treatment protocols are changing. It's because as more research and more evidence comes out, we try and adjust the way we're kind of dealing with our patients. And so it's it's right now it's really difficult to kind of say what it will look like in six months, eight months from now. But I do think as you know, as you know, a race, a human race, we will eventually like get get through this. And if it becomes part of our new norm then it will be there. But I think something that's always kind of been important to us is competition and, and, and sports. And it's a big part of our mental health as well as our f- physical health. And so I think, you know, we'll find ways to kind of reincorporate it. Um, but it's it sometimes, you know, it, it's tough to kind of predict how such a big event in kind of the course of, you know, human history, um, a pandemic, um, you know, even to this day, we still talk about the, you know, 1918 Spanish flu pandemic,
1: you know, I think that's of, the only thing we've had to compare it to at this point. Exactly. I, I but none
3: it. of us have ever experienced it, but yet right. it's still in our kind of understanding of history. You know, um, we talk about the plague, you know, from the um, uh, middle ages, you know, and so disease has always been a part of kind of the human condition. It just, it, because it transcends generations, sometimes it's harder for us to kind of understand unless we faced it. And I think Absolutely. this would definitely be a defining kind of pandemic for us.
2: Hey, Robbie, I got a question for you. Um, this will probably be pretty straightforward, but what's your, um, currently, obviously your day-to-day is probably a little bit different from what it was two or three months ago, but as an emergency room physician, what is your day-to-day like these days? How long, um, I guess, how long do you do you stay with a patient as uh, an emergency room um, physician and does that, does this virus drastically affect your day to day or is it pretty much the same thing? It's just, except instead of seeing like a broken leg and then, uh, somebody else is sick and then different things going quickly, but it's different things. It's just the same thing for every patient or how has this affected you in that way?
3: Well, um, so the way your residency works, um, it's kind of a, uh, you're a physician in training that's working under other physicians. Um, and, especially for interns in emergency medicine, we spend a certain number of months every year kind of working off service where we're kind of doing other applicable um, positions. Um, So I was in the ED two months ago. And then uh, last month I was on the trauma ICU service. And then this month I'm in the anesthesia service. And then next month I'm in the ED, which is right when we're kind of predicting possibly having our surge. Um, And so... Right now, Charlottesville is in the early stages. Um, we're more of a rural area, um, but our hospital serves a very large um, patient population because we have air ambulance services as well as local ground services. So we serve all of like Central Virginia and parts of West Virginia. Um, and so we have like a long distances to cover. And so we're, 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 we're in the stages of prepping where we're trying to accumulate kind of and, and this is of course me, just from my own personal experience, I can't speak for the University of Virginia in terms of this, but um, it's just, you know, from what I've been feeling in, in my day to day, it's been where you know, they've, they've stopped medical students kind of coming onto service. Um, they've limited the number of people that can go um, in protective equipment to try and you know, save those numbers. But right now we haven't really necessarily been hit or overwhelmed I would say by the patient um, population of COVID. Um, but the entire kind of planning and the entire aspect of it that we're watching closely is the idea that we want to flatten the curve. Um, And the reason we want to flatten the curve is because, you know, the projection, we understand that, you know, people are going to get sick with this, but the idea being is that if we can slow down the rate of infection, our resources may be better able to handle. So it's instead of a, a wave or a surge of COVID patients coming in with lots of infections at once—we're getting more of a trickle that we can handle, and it's not as um, taxing on our, our resources. But you know, if you look at places like New York right now and the stories that are coming out of there, it, you know that—that's what it would look like if your resources are overwhelmed. You know, um, and so you know, I think everyone is trying to plan. Everyone's trying to do the best they can to, you know, prepare. But without really knowing and not having that crystal ball, you can't, you don't know what kind of numbers are gonna, you know, your area is gonna produce. Um, So for us right now, our volumes in ED are very low and, you know, we're not at capacity in terms of COVID patients, but um, the numbers are growing every day. And it's very scary because of the fact that a lot of patients can be kind of asymptomatic or mildly symptomatic. Um, And so, you know, you don't know if the person walking in the door with like a broken ankle also happens to be a COVID patient, you know, um, and so it's 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 a scary time, especially for healthcare workers, um, because it's been shown that you know at times that the people who have more viral load get sicker, um, and healthcare workers are prime examples of people that are exposed to a lot of COVID patients, and so they have a tendency to get sicker, um, and that's that's super scary.
0: Robbie, uh, I, I'm curious, your sports career, your, your soccer playing career lasted a, a good amount of time. Uh, you talked a little bit about how uh, your situation now is a little bit like being in a locker room. I'm curious if there's anything uh, aside from that that, you, that maybe is carried over for you between these very different careers.
3: Um, I mean, it, it's, it, it's amazing how much of you know, my athletic background... Um, has been a strength as opposed to what I re- initially thought when I was changing careers that it would be a weakness. Um, you know, just the fact that I'm able to work in groups, I'm able to kind of listen to other people's ideas, able to kind of steer people in a direction that like, we're all fighting for the same thing. Like, you know, let's, let's work towards that. It's, I don't, and I, I, I don't think this is specific to medicine either, but I think it helps in any career is that, you know, you, you get good at learning to work with other people. And the more brains and more minds you can have working towards the same thing, you know, is, it's, it's, it's the ideal situation, you know, because you're getting perspective from all different backgrounds and they're all coming towards, you know, accomplishing a goal together. And I think with us in medicine right now, um, that, that seems to be kind of more important than ever, um, is having a, a good team and a good unit working together to accomplish the same thing because the stakes are so high. Um, and so that's one of the things that I've really been kind of blessed to realize is that, you know, coming from my team background, um, gave me a lot more strengths than it did kind of, um, weaknesses when it came to kind of transitioning into the world of medicine.
2: Speaking of, uh, transitioning from a soccer player to a, um, to a doctor now, um, when you, correct me if I'm wrong, when you went to school originally, you went to Duke, um, Mm -hmm. and then you got drafted or no, you went to Scandinavia and then came back to MLS. Um, somewhere in there, um, you mentioned that uh, you knew that your playing days would at some point come to an end and you decided to transition into being a doctor. Did, as far as schooling goes, did you finish all your schooling at one time and then become a player and then start schooling again while you were a player? Or did, was that all completely separate points? So, um, Just just how did your education path Start again after being a soccer player.
3: So I, I finished school. I got my degree at Duke. Um, I got drafted to LA actually before kind of foregoing, you know, that contract and you know just going on trial in Scandinavia. Kind of went, figured I'd go over there for like a year or two, and then like you know probably get cut, come home, be like an iBanker banker or something. Um, but then like, you know, one year turned into two years, then two years turned into, you know, it just kept going. And I was blessed to have, you know, a career that I'm really happy with. Um, and then towards the end of my career, I started trying to figure out, okay, if I wanted to go back to medical school, once I figured out that medical school is what I wanted to do, how would I do it being so far out? And because of that, I actually, I, I would have had to redo all of my credits, um, as an undergrad because I was out, out of school for more than seven years. And when you're out of school for that long, all your credits become defunct unless you're using them in an a- applicable way. And, you know, I wasn't using them in an applicable way. Um, and so at the time I was like, okay, this is probably not gonna be likely, but by this time they had, you know, post programs had been developed and those didn't exist when I was in college. Um, so the idea that I could just take a, the, all the credits I needed specifically for medicine and I could do it in a condensed form where I just like, you know took all of the courses the labs the maths the sciences and like took the four years worth you can do it in 18 months um and that's what i did i did a post bac program at georgetown um and i played up until i i started like applying to post bac programs my last year and a half and then i played up until i got accepted and then i retired that year and then spent the next 18 months or well, actually 15 months Um, doing the condensed program before applying to med school then med school for four years. And after four years of med school, now I'm I'm in residency. Um, So yeah, I had to redo all of my credits again.
1: Oh man. Yeah. So I think uh, part of your trajectory, I mean at some point you had an intervention from the father-in-law and I think that this time that we're in is really interesting, especially because I think it's really showing all of us, but I mean, professional athletes as well about how like fickle this type of career can be, um, being out of work already for all, I mean, indefinitely at this point. And I know that some leagues are going to be cutting player salaries, um, at some percentage. I'm not sure if, if MLS has announced that already. Um, I think it's so interesting that you, I, I mean, how far in your career did you start to have those thoughts I'm curious. And like, I'm wondering if other players, I mean, in your experience, teammates that you had, if you had those conversations or what those conversations are like for the average player in any professional sport, but MLS in particular about what life is going to be like after MLS, if it's going to be soccer related. I'm curious what those conversations look like. I
3: mean, those were conversations that especially towards the end of my career that I was having as much as I could with as many of the young guys on the team as possible. Um, it's because, I mean, even playing in the MLS, you know, unless you're getting kind of the, you know, you know, the and I, I don't want to say any names, but unless you're getting like kind of the national team level kind of salaries and you're
1: David Beckham money.
3: Sure. <laughs> um, you know, when you retire, not many people actually get to retire. You know what, right. what I mean? Um, and you're retiring young, like most careers. If you're blessed and super lucky, you're retiring in your 30s. Um And that's like, you know, if you make it a a good long while. Um, And so like, that's such a small blip in terms of our overall lifespan. Um, Unless you made kind of David Beckham money, you don't have enough money to then retire for the rest of your life. And so there is, it's regardless of like, what age you're going to retire at, there is going to be a need to transition into something afterwards. Um, And unless you have a background in something that you came into it with, That's going to be something, it's going to be a whole new world for you. And so as I was making that own transition for myself, I was lucky enough to have people around me that kind of pushed that question early so that, you know, my last couple of years, I wasn't just, it wasn't that I wasn't in school, but like I was doing kind of um, interning and I was scribing for like the team doctors, you know, the, both the doctor at Real Salt Lake and the doctor at um, the that's awesome. I was doing like, I was going in extra hours and kind of like shadowing them and then working in their offices, just trying to figure out one, if I really wanted to go into medicine, but two, just to see like how do I get into this? And I needed to do that on the side. I needed to figure out ways how to do that outside of playing. And so many guys, when they're younger, you're just focusing on kind of like being the best soccer player that you can be. And that's absolutely legitimate because like, this is your profession and you want to perfect it. And so you need to kind of focus. But you also have to have the reality that, especially in the MLS, we're not making the kind of money um, where you're able to retire after you're done, unless you are an amazing investor. And then that's probably the job you should go into. Um, Absolutely. And so I was having conversations with guys my last couple of years where I was like, listen, if there is any interest you have outside of soccer or anything that can be bridged into, like if you want to be an announcer, if you want to go into coaching, you want to like... You are in a ideal situation where you're an athlete, you're, you know, you have a little bit of kind of a social, I guess, status where you can use that to leverage that to get open doors that wouldn't normally open for you, you know? Absolutely. Um, Did the
1: team or the league have resources for you at that time? I know you said that like that you were helping out with certain things, like like with the medical staff. And I'm curious what that, you know, like w- what systems are in place to help players transition out of that life when the time comes.
3: Well, it was difficult. Initially, the first couple of years, I know they had like the Generation Adidas thing, um, you know, where they would kind of sign guys out of high school or from out of college and then give them like a guaranteed kind of tuition back into school after they were done okay. at- but so few, so few players actually take up on that. Like once you start playing, the idea of going back to school sounds terrible. Um, and then I know they had transitioned into more. Um, I know that, you know, the there's a, a most recent partnership with kind of the University of New Hampshire online services, that sort of thing. Oh,
1: yeah. I saw the Tim Howard commercial yeah. a few times. Um, I don't know.
3: I don't know exactly the details of that relationship and whether or not it's privy or players are kind of allowed yeah. to use that. But that was one. One of the big resources that helped me, and this wasn't necessarily for me because I I think I found a lot of my own kind of school stuff because they didn't really have much experience with players going to medical school. Right. Um, But I used Athlife. Have you ever heard of them? I haven't. Um, So Athlife is a program that's devoted entirely to kind of providing education and and resources for players to develop their careers after they play. Um, And it applies to high school, college, and professional athletes. Um, uh, I think it's run by a guy named John Harris. Um, but I remember when I first kind of reached out to the ML, well, to the team and said, I'm trying to set stuff up where I can work with like, you know, getting, going back to school, that sort of thing. What, what can I do? And that was one of the first numbers I got was Athlife and, um, because they didn't have much experience with people going to medical school, they, 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 they weren't really as, um, able to kind of navigate my transition as much as uh, I would have hoped, but, they like bent over backwards trying to figure out, you know, ways for me to kind of what I needed to do, how many credits I needed to get, that sort of thing. And so they're extremely helpful. I don't know if they're still working with the MLS. I really hope they are, or if there's some sort of program that's replaced it. But I, it's absolutely necessary.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I, and like I mentioned, like this at these times of unsurety, I think probably have a lot of players of all ages thinking about these things more than they normally would. Um, I think people are probably. F- pretty bored as well i think Mm. most players are are being forced to to stay in their own uh markets and are just kind of hanging out at home at the moment um i'm not sure if you're aware but uh real Salt lake actually streamed the 09 game the the championship game the other day and then kind of live tweeted it as well you were probably geofenced out out of being able to watch
3: it 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 yeah
1: yeah, yeah I think you probably it. have other things to attend to um, <laughs> at the moment, but for the rest of us that were able to watch that, um, I, I would love if you could just like, for the sake of the interview, walk us through that that penalty. I would love mm-hmm. to know your thoughts on it.
3: Oh man, it, it's so, so much of that penalty is like blurry, right? And <laughs> the fact that I've gone back and watched it on video, like every time I see it on like a, a video of someone else playing it, it still gives me goosebumps, you know? Yeah. Um, and you know, so much of my memory is essentially like standing at half field and realizing that like, we were going to go to an extra penalty because I wasn't even supposed to be taking a penalty. <laughs> and then right. when it came down to it, realizing that like, if I scored, we won, which I was like, that's all we have to do is we have to score. That's it. And so I just remember walking from half field to the penalty stripe. And the crowd behind it was like so loud. And they were all – like the whole thing was moving and it was just crazy. And it turned into like – I couldn't see any individual faces. It just turned into the sea of like yelling. That was like straight ahead. And it made the goal look so small.
2: And, oh, dude, that's
1: the worst. I mean having played a pretty high level of soccer myself uh, in high school, but taking a penalty, like it's crazy how much it shrinks. Yeah. And I wasn't even doing that in front of uh, – hundreds of thousands of people or whatever on TV and all that. It was crazy.
3: And then you take the size of the goalkeeper. He seems to get exponentially bigger, you know? Um, but, you know, stepping up and like hitting that penalty. And and I got to be honest, when I was hitting it, like all of that, I was thinking it looked small. I think that he looked big, but I never actually thought I was going to miss. Like I was like, I'm going to score this and we're going to be fine. Like it never kind of popped in my head that I was going to miss. And so then when I stepped up and hit it, because – I went to the same side. I usually go all the time, you know? Um, the only thought I was going to have is that please don't save it. Like I'm going to hit this well, but please don't guess the right way and save
1: it. You know what I mean? It was, it was textbook. It was, it was a, it was a defender's penalty, but it was, textbook.
3: It was- <laughs> I don't know if you can call side netting a defender's penalty. But no, I'll, it, was I'll was it. it was low. It was low.
1: It was low. It was a great penalty. Um, but it was low because, like, I, I mean, I've seen enough it defenders the sky the ball. It was
3: for a, so. a good penalty. Yeah.
1: Yes, it was great. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we'll. I, I think we're ready to to close it out. But, but I, I mean, last of all, um, honestly, thank you for what you're doing currently. I know, um, I read that you're away from your family currently. Yeah. Um, right. and obviously, being such high risk and that multiple mm-hmm. exposure, you're probably not in any hurry to put them at risk. But I just want to. Um, thank you. And I'm sure these guys agree that you're out there doing, um, really hard work right now. Um, and the three of us have just been locked up at home, kind of feeling helpless to an extent, but, um, just want to thank you so much for what you're doing. And if you could give, you know, advice to, to all of us here in Utah and everyone else that's listening, I know, um, you know, we're kind of at a similar point in our trajectory, still in the early phases, but kind of, you know, seeing what's going on around the world in New New York, kind of being at the the make or break phase. Mm -hmm. If you could give us some advice, that would be, it would be awesome.
3: Uh, I mean, first I want to say like, I appreciate you kind of saying those things. And I also want to thank you guys for, you know, spending the time you have at home and trying to create content and get people out, you know, listening to things and getting information out there. And that's really important um i I would say the biggest thing right now is kind of paying attention to the guidelines that you know keep changing um you know as we learn more about you know the disease and its progression and how to treat it like um you want to kind of pay attention to what the cdc is saying you want to say pay attention to what you know know, the the recommendations of like local government that sort of thing because they're going to change from day to day as we learn more about how this works day to day and um, it's one of those things where you don't want to kind of, you get a little bit overloaded in terms of like the resources that are getting thrown at you, but the biggest thing is trying to really make sure that they're vetted, they're evidence-based and that it's not hearsay and it's not theory. Um, and so, you know, really paying attention to what the announcements are coming out of our kind of health system, you know, organizations that, you know, do this sort of thing. Um, that's the biggest thing. Um, you just keep adapting and keep trying to take it one day at a time. because, um, you know, we're all, we're all under feeling the, the pressure. We're all feeling the stress, but um, you know we're going to get through it, and you know we're going to figure out how to get past this.
0: Robbie, thanks again for joining us. This has been informative, educational, and uh, a very nice trip down memory lane. Um, Thank you,
3: guys. So
0: we we really appreciate it, and stay safe out there.